chromosome. Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. It's time now for the People's War Radio Show, where we do talk about the main virus. And that is colonialism. Here on the People's War Radio Show, we talk with healthcare workers, activists, revolutionaries, authors, teachers, and regular people from the African community. We aim to bring you an African internationalist analysis on all things important to winning our freedom from colonialism. The root of all our problems. Uhuru! Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Dexter Emlem Wingu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. In August 2021, a video went viral on the internet that showed the kidnapping of the newborn child of former American Idol finalist Saisha Mercado by state officials. Just months earlier, Mercado's first child, Amin Ra, was kidnapped by the colonial state. The colonial state accused Mercado of malnutrition after Mercado visited a Florida hospital seeking help with weaning Amin Ra off breast milk. The viral video activated strong responses from celebrities and other notable people. The attention helped Mercado regain custody of her newborn. Amin Ra remains in state custody. At the same time as the Mercado case, the African National Women's Organization was contacted by African mothers in Florida and California who also had their children stolen from them by the colonial state. The African National Women's Organization is a membership organization that is composed of African women who recognize their responsibility to organize with each other across borders to address and overturn their special oppression. In the previous months, the African National Women's Organization organized in support of Anaya Butler, whose daughter Patience was stolen by the state of Arizona. Anaya's story can be found in a Mother's Day episode of the People's War Show. The African National Women's Organization convened a National Day of Action in defense of the thousands of voiceless African mothers battling the colonial state alone. On August 27th, the African National Women's Organization held protests in nine cities across the U.S., from San Diego, California to Sanford, Florida. The African National Women's Organization's efforts did not stop there. On October 24, 2021, and will held the Arrest CPS Conference to bring together parents, organizers, and lawyers as a strategy to strengthen parents' defense of their children and offer a network of support that is rooted in empowering African families. The organizing conference featured panel discussions from members of the Uhuru Movement, Union de Barrio, Operation Stop CPS, and Movement for Power. 
The organizing conference began with a crucial political overview by President Yejide Oranmila. Yejide is the president of the African National Women's Organization, where she leads important campaigns, such as the Uhuru Kijiji Child Care Collectives and the Arrest CPS campaign. In her overview, Yesterday they stated the purpose for the conference and the Arrest CPS campaign. Um, and I'm just going to give you an overview of why we're here today and why we think this is so important. As many of you know um, or have experienced yourself, the parasitic, and we say parasitic, you know a parasite leeches onto you and sucks you clean and sucks all the nutrients and sucks you dry so that you can't even function. They actually live on, they're able to live. Parasites are able to live on your own, on you while you are decaying. And so we recognize this system as a parasitic system and the CPS system is a, is a parasitic system whereby it thrives off of the number of children that is taken into its custody under the guise of child protection while the parents and people that they're claiming um, need help and need some encouragement to, to, to take care of children are decaying, are declining. They have lost jobs. They are, they, some of them uh, uh, suffer mentally and mental health and they continue to feel this ever-present looming force that continues to impact on the lives of our people. We pay specific attention to the whole question of black children. Even though we know that across the nation, this is impacting everyone, a red CPS and our sub line is stop kidnapping Black children because Black children are disproportionately represented in the foster care system. The stats tell us that even though Black children are 13% of the children's population represent nearly half that size, uh, sorry, more than half that population size inside CPS throughout the country. And what that tells us is that the same system that incarcerates and jails Black people, the same system that um, closes Black schools, sorry, schools and Black communities in, in favor of private schools, um, the same system that continues to exploit Black people uh, and deprive us economically is the same system that is entrusted with the care and protection of our children. And we don't believe that these systems are separate. We believe that they're the same. And what we recognize is that since the attack on Africa, the subsequent kidnapping of African people, the, the theft of our resources, the, the using of our labor to amass wealth that we did not benefit from, um, is the same system that continues today. That the same, that we, our children are on those auction blocks and are taken and sold to the highest bidder. Our bodies are still commodified, meaning that we are still have price tags on our bodies. And they do that under the guise of child protective services. And the reason why we say that is evident that the federal government get, uh, funds the, the number of children that, in the, that are in the uh, custody of the state. So the more children that you have in the custody of the state, the more the state gets resources from the federal government. That's commodification. Particularly if you know that you can go into a poor working class community, African community, and take those children because of things that we may not have or money that we may not have. This is all, uh, this is all relevant to the, the, the level of poverty that exists in African communities or Black communities. This is all relevant to the social status that we have continued to, uh, have to challenge and fight back every single moment of our existence in this country. And so we know that there are conditions within our communities that need to be 
fixed and improved. However, during the time since slavery has ended till now, very little has improved in terms of economics. As a matter of fact, Black people in terms of wealth are set back. So what we're left with now is these institutions that claim that they are operating on the best interest of the children. But when we look at this whole question of, of how you know, child protective services is connected to the ongoing struggle to be free of this system itself, we recognize that the children, Black children, are just the same as they were before. Black children were used as interest for the government. They were used as interest for slave and plantation owners to, um, to be grown up workers later in time. So they would trade African children just like they would money. They would trade African people like they would money. And so when we continue to look at where we are today, we, we have to recognize that the system, because we never destroyed it, still exists. It just translated into something else. So that's why when we are confronted with child protective services, when they come into our house, kicking our door, tell us that we have to take, you know, they have to take our children and they know what's best for our children because it's imminent danger, so on and so forth. There's so many stories that you'll hear today that this is the same system that never gave a damn about Black people. And so why do we think that they are going to give a damn about Black people or our children now? And we, some people in our community find it uh, conflicted because they recognize that uh, children are, they don't, they want our children to be safe. And so what is there left if we don't facilitate the safety of our children? We, the only institutes that exist is the institution of the Department of Health and Human Resources, resources that facilitates the, the funding of CPS agencies around the country. And so when we see or hear of these horrible stories of children being um, uh, harmed, uh, and um, that's the reason why CPS is in existence, um, it kind of warps the story to make it seem like this institution is the thing that's saving our children from this type of harm. When in fact, many times that we hear that the children who have been harmed have been under the supervision of Child Protective Services anyway. And that we also see that, um, that the children who we, uh, who wanna come home, whose parents who have not, uh, who have done everything that they possibly could to ensure that their child is safe are still not getting their children back. We say that if we care about our children, we cannot leave it up to the decision of the state. We've had parents in our work who have tried to challenge this system, tried to challenge the individuals who have taken our children, but they were slapped with gag orders. Orders that prevented them to talk about their own case and their own children with any advocate group. Because if they did do that, then they will be incarcerated. We've had mothers who saw that their children were in danger in the care of whoever the state put the children in and tried to go and help and get their child out of danger and were slapped with felony convictions. Even if you're not convicted of anything by the state or proven anything was proven against you, you're still under supervision and any child that you have is going to be observed as well. And they're always gonna be looming factors around you. Our work with the REST CPS is not just to say, oh, CPS is bad, or not just to say, yeah, we have to organize around parents. Ultimately, our work is to help everyone understand that this 
entity is the same entity that has oppressed and exploited Black people since this company, this country was founded. It comes from the same thing. And as such, that we have to also move our work beyond just the specific issue of CPS, which is just a part and parcel of the entire uh, decay of this system, but to a one that is broader that says that this whole thing needs to be destroyed. Every single piece of this network, of this government, of this policy, of these things that are entrapping and employing Black people needs to be destroyed and something else must be erected in its place. We don't consider ourselves separate from any other Black person anywhere on the face of the planet. That as a result of enslavement of our people, we were, just, we were put in different places around the world and our identities were defined for us by the oppressor. And the only identity that we uh, associate ourselves with is Africa. So we've worked with arrest CPS cases, not just in the United States, but we've also done work in Europe, uh, in places like Sweden and in the United Kingdom. And I'm sure that you would not be surprised to know that the same thing that they do here is what they do there. Why not? Because it's the same system of exploitation and harm that continues to happen. So we don't identify uh, CPS or Child Protective Services as anything other than a policing service that is there to facilitate the theft of, of, of Black children and other children, of course, but to also commodify and ensure that they get funding from the federal government to hold these children um, uh, hostage and to um, exploit the parents too. Parents are really uh, traumatized. We've worked with mothers who have been really run through the ringer emotionally. Parents who said that they've told me to go and take a psych eval. And of course, I am distraught. Of course, I'm angry. Of course, I'm all of these. They just stole my child and they're telling me they're not going to give me my child back. So now you have a system that is now saying that you're a bad mother without proof in most cases, or a bad parent without proof in most cases. And now they're sending you to a place to get evaluated by somebody that they've hired. So to now say that you have some issues with your anger. And the only reason why you're angry is because somebody just came into your house, taking your child or children and told you that you have to jump through all of these hoops to get them back, particularly if they have no proof that you've done anything. And so the purpose of this conference is to look at um, the space of anti-CPS organizers um, to give a history beyond what I've given you around why this is and what contributes to the foundation of these systems and how we can frame some of our narrative. It's also to look at other organizers and advocates who are working in our communities against CPS and try to connect it so that we are one organized organ. Because if the state is organized, we also have to be organized. And in the work that we've been doing over the last three or four years, we know that there are advocates out there. We know that people are concerned about this. We know that there are people fighting. But because we do it in isolation, because we do it on our own, or that we have these sort of pockets of things all over the place, it's really hard to kind of have a formidable attack against the system because they don't care about that one individual or this one individual group or one individual person. What they will care about is uh, this ongoing network of people who are going to challenge it at every single end. That means we need parent organizers. That means we need lawyers. We need social workers. We need everybody to amass a united front against CPS, even if there's no story in the news. Know that every single day there's a Black child that is being kidnapped. 
every day a black child is being kidnapped and there's not enough of us on the streets everywhere in this country to protect every single family against that kidnap. So what has to happen is an organized network of people that's raising up this issue, just like um, they are around police brutality, that the kidnapping of black children, the unmothering of black mothers, the criminalization of black families is something that must be pushed back against. That was Yejide Oren Mila of the African National Women's Organization. You're listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we're discussing the African National Women's Organization Arrest CPS Organizing Conference that was held on October 24, 2021. The conference was a crucial place to allow for African mothers like Demetria Hester of Portland, Oregon, to tell their stories of state terror, but also point African mothers and families and other colonized mothers and families toward the light at the end of the tunnel. So therefore, after that, it was just like a whirlwind. They came in my home. Um, They said that I was abusing my children after there was no records. There was my children were AB students. There was nothing to to uh, clarify anything that they were alleging that I did. I was immediately the criminal, immediately the criminal. When I was criminalized, everybody said, oh, she's mean. Look at her. She's beating her kids. No, I'm not mean. They even said that she could give you a look and just make you uh, just not say anything because of her look. All of these things were used to weaponize me uh, because I was fighting for my son because he did not want to go to foster care. He didn't want to not be at home with me. He wanted to be at home with me. And he told them that. I had to go uh, to a 19-week parenting class where they told me that my children were my friend and wanted me to adapt this kind of behavior. I'm the adult. I'm the one that's supposed to be training my children to have self-control and love and respect for me, the one who raised them and birthed them and gave them life and here to protect them and always be on their side. That's exactly how this thing goes is they plant these seeds they they tell your children that you're criminals and then it's it's your children's uh, uh um, ability to know if they're doing it for their benefit or not that's that's for them to decipher so my son on the other hand is the one who's telling them and going to court and saying that no this isn't happening and they're putting them in houses that they're trying to manipulate him into saying those things and making me provide everything for my son while they're getting money for my son. All of these things they do to you while your child has been taken away from you. So your mental health is still up for evaluation. They tell you that you're angry, that you're an angry mom, that you, you're you projecting your anger on your children when all the time you're angry once again because you've taken my children away from me and you're trying to colonize my children and I'm refusing to do that so that I'm, you're giving me lawyers that do not agree with what I'm saying and telling me that I need to do what they're telling me to do to get my children back, but I'm doing that and more.
but they're constantly criminalizing me, telling me that I can I need to have this and I need to have that after you didn't took away my housing because of my children. After you didn't made me houseless. After this system has made all of these things happen, I'm still having to fight and fight. We need to resist. We need to fight. For three years, I fought. I lived, I, I couldn't find work in Tacoma, so I, I had to find work in Vancouver. So for three years, I drove from Vancouver to Tacoma, which is a two-hour drive, to visit my son for a two-hour supervised visit where they're watching what I'm saying, what we're doing, writing it down. And we're not even having a safe space to to love one another and to be um, here for one another. And therefore, we're being disconnected because he's trying to figure out why they're lying about what we're doing to keep him in the system. And I'm here to let him know that this is what we do is fight for our children and never give up. This is what we do. We're not going to let the system corrupt our children. We're not going to let this system tell us that we're criminals for raising our children in our culture. We can do this. We can fight because I got my son back. Right today, he is electrician and he has his own son and a son on the way. And I'm blessed to be in his life to be able to do this. So we can fight this fight. We can make this happen. And through ANWO and through connecting with each other and telling our story to get this corrupt system burned down, that's what we can do. And that was Demetria Hester. Demetria is a member of ANWO and the African People's Socialist Party. Deepening the analysis of the state's attack against African families, Aaron Miles Cloud of Movement for Power noted how drug laws are specifically used to target African mothers even after they've just given birth at hospitals. Let's take a listen. And one of the things that we saw was that for children under three months old, the primary allegation has been substance use, which has been intervened in people's lives in a way where they are surveilled, they are policed, their children are taken from them, there's no ability to bond, there is no no compassionate care for anyone, or no just kind of understanding that there's a range of people who use drugs, people who use drugs recreationally, there's people who use drugs that don't use drugs recreationally, but none of it warrants the drug war interference, which is what we're seeing right now. It's utilizing this apparatus of the family regulation, family policing system as an arm of the drug war to separate our families and justify the separation of our families. And so what we really think about is, okay, where can we hone in? What is this singular intervention? And where we've really sought to look at is the utility of a drug test. What does a drug test mean? It doesn't mean anything. A drug test doesn't mean you're a good or bad parent. A drug test means that they found drugs. That's all it means. A drug test is not a parenting test. You can use drugs. You cannot use drugs. That does not necessarily determine how you parent or who you are. What we know is that Black 
mothers in particular are more likely to be drug tested than white mothers. What we know is that black mothers don't use drugs more than white mothers do. But we do know that black mothers are more regularly policed by hospitals. What else does a drug test show us? We learned a little bit about CAPTA in the last presentation. We learned that drug tests are a focal point of major federal laws like CAPTA, that they actually connect our hospital systems to our family policing systems, that there are laws put in place to say, hospital system, you have to actually now call Child Protective Services. And when there are not laws put in place, they are threatened to put those laws into place for very little money, but they're told to, to connect to each other. So people should be able to go get health care. They should be able to go see a doctor. They should be able to feel free in their bodies, right? They cannot do that because these drug tests have served a purpose of connecting carceral policing systems like the family policing system with places where people are supposed to be getting support. But more importantly, these are systems that have been purposely connected to also erode various systems that Black people have set up to support themselves for a long period of time. So when we dig a little deeper, we know that drug test is not a parenting test. Drug test by law has connected family policing and hospital systems, but then go one step back that it did this at the same time and by the same physicians associations that were trying to wipe out Black midwives for the last 150 years. So the various solutions that we had in place with our grand midwives, grand, you know, the midwives to actually support and be with us and be a part of our own community safety networks, those were increasingly um, penalized in their existence by the very physicians associations that started the laws that created our family policing system and connected it with our drug war. So we're looking, so that's, you know, and that's a phenomenal thing to know. And oftentimes people don't connect those. And when we're talking about reimagining support, a part of what we do is we remember the support that we've had. How do we get back to our legacy of grand, midf grand midwifery? How do we get back to our communal supports? How do we ensure that we're actually funding those spaces? Because hospital systems weren't built for Black mothers. They weren't built for Black bodies. Now, you have to be sure and be clear that they are killing Black mothers um, through giving birth. They will definitely police Black mothers by calling in a CPS report. And so the campaign that we look at in New York City really, really investigates and examines that relationship. But it also envisions and creates space where we can be together and think about what is next. What do we want to build? I think oftentimes organizing is taken out of the way that we survive and envision. We very much believe that a part of building a better future is creating space to organize and create real transformative change. That was Aaron Miles Cloud of Movement for Power. The terror that African and indigenous mothers and families have endured is part of a long history of colonial capitalist domination of African and indigenous people. Joni Lopez of Union del Barrio identified the way that migrant families have been forcibly separated by the deportation regime of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE. Chimarenga Selambao also raised a colonial contradiction in the following segment. Referencing international law, Chimarenga noted how CPS is a form of genocide. Chimarenga Selambao was a national director of organization for the African People's Socialist Party USA. Chimarenga oversees the work of the Ahura movement organizations in the United States. Let's hear from Chimarenga. And I'm glad that we prefaced this whole discussion by uh, saying that this was colonialism that was at the bottom of the kidnapping of African children. because. 
in fact it is, but I did want to say a couple of things about uh, CPS, <clears throat> particularly in Florida, uh, but in other places as well. Florida is a state that does not have a very large African population, about 16%, 16.9% of the people in, in Florida are African. However, uh, in the child protective services area, in what they call out of home custody, about 6,574 African children currently are in out of home custody. That represents 29.1% of the 22,554 children in out of home custody in the state of Florida. 29% are African notwithstanding the fact that the whole African population in the state of Florida is only 16%, is almost double for the percentage of African children in out-of-home custody. I was reading an article that was uh, quite enlightening. Uh, the article talked about how 18,000 children go missing uh, every year, and they're not uh, 18,000 children that go missing from their homes. There are 18,000 children that go missing from social services and state custody. 18,000. Of course, this is more than African children, but 18,000 children go missing. Now, you can imagine uh, in the state of Florida, where you got 29%, more than 29% of those children being African, a great number of those children who go missing are African. That is not the only thing that is uh, disturbing and outrageous about this whole thing. But in Arizona, for example, if a child goes missing, and I'm talking about in state custody, if a child goes missing for more than six months, they can close that case as if the child didn't exist. So you got all these thousands of children who go missing and then nobody is looking for them. And they were in state custody. By the way, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which I have no affinity for at all, and who has murdered many African people, they have some very interesting and disturbing statistics about half the children in, in the U.S. who are trafficked in the U.S. actually were in the care of social services when they disappeared. So they disappeared from social services custody as opposed to being uh, kidnapped from home, anything like that. They were in the custody of the state, different states where they live, and then end up being trafficked uh, sometimes sex trafficking, but more than half of them are already in state custody when they disappear. That's outrageous. How can these so-called child protective services even put protection in their name when they're talking about 16% of the 29% uh, of the children just in Florida being African and now are being kidnapped and in state custody. And this is related to the whole question of colonialism. And uh, as a 
an example of what we are talking about. Even in international law, there are conventions that say that you cannot forcibly put one child, a child of one nationality into a group of the others. Now in the state of Florida, it's very common for African children to be taken out of a home and then put in the homes of white people. That's very common. So I'm gonna read you something very interesting from the United Nations Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. Now this came from the United Nations. Article two of the United Nations Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. So article two says in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such. Killing members of the group, A. B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. And E, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. This is genocide, comrades, this is genocide. So under their own rules, rules that the United States government has signed on to, what they are doing in every state in the United States kidnapping black children, forcing them to go with white families, putting them in foster care, that is genocide under international law. So I thought that it would be really important for us to take it outside of even the so-called national law and law itself to explain to people that crimes are being committed against African and colonized people, other colonized people every day of the week, and it's called genocide. Uh, we call for its immediate end. And while uh, you may feel helpless, uh, the existence of the African National Women's Organization and its arrest CPS organizing conference and campaign is evidence that we can fight back. That was Shimarenga Selimbao, National Director of Organization for the African People's Socialist Party USA. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today we are discussing the African National Women's Organization's Arrest CPS Conference that was held on October 24th, 2021. For the activists and organizers, the CPS system and the colonial legal structure is one in a myriad of ways that the African working class has been attacked and driven out of political life. The Arrest CPS Organizing Conference was an important start in building a mass movement against the state-sponsored kidnapping of African children. This included the outlining of different organizational platforms and practical advice African mothers can use in defense of themselves and their families. In the following clip, Tafara Austin, of Operation Stop CPS answered the question of a mother who wanted to know how to stop the constant harassment, 
from CPS and get them to close her case. Let's take a listen. I would first like to know what state she's in. Um, but at the same time, that's their that's their process. That's their process. And unfortunately, um, you have to either have advocates behind you to say that this is not right. Like, why? What's the reason? Um, if not, then you, you know, like we said in the, the, the guide, this is what we're teaching families. You know, be assertive. Why are you here? Why do you continue to do this? What legal facts or basis do you have to stand behind why you are coming to my house? Then finding out, like, what's the, she said since May. So most cases, they, well, all cases have a time frame unless you are um, moving the case to another social worker for whatever reason. So if she's still in that investigative state, it's 45 days. Um, and after that 45 days, then a decision has to be made. And that's law. Like, what do you what, what reasons do you have that warrants you still having my case open? So she in whatever state she's in, she needs to look up, you know, information in regards to her state. But it states that if it's open longer than the time that it's warranted to be open, they have to give you the reasoning in writing as to why your case is still open. And if there's nothing else that extends past those allegations, then they have to close your case. Because then that becomes a sense of harassment. Like, you're not giving me the reason why you keep coming in by my house. What safety issue is there that presents itself against my child? So I would tell her to first look into, you know, only she knows her allegations or whatever. Look into that. And then she did say to her son, you know, he ran away. Like, what's the basis with her? Is her son still with her? If, you know, if everything is fine. Apparently it is because they um, lifted the supervision piece of it. So now it, it's why she needs to be firm. Okay, I know my rights. I know that at 45 days, you're, you're to make a decision. It's past that. Why do you continue to come to my home? Explain that to me, legal. And I need you to put that in writing as to why you continue to come to my home. And that's, you have to have, put that, you have to have it where you know they understand that you know what you're talking about. That was Tafara Austin of Operation Stop CPS. Tafara was joined by Amanda Wallace, also of Stop CPS. In a panel entitled Inside Out from Caseworkers to Organizers, Tafara and Amanda outlined the way they have returned the skills they have developed in the field of social work in defense of African mothers and African families. Let's take a listen. You know, I started my career as a child abuse investigator, like I said, 10 years ago, and I thought I could help from the inside. And throughout the years, I've seen the policies be created to oppress our people. And then it became a part in my career where I took a child that I knew was safe. I protested. I said I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even go pick up the child. But, but I was forced to sign the document that legalized this kidnapping. And again, I knew that enough was enough and I couldn't do this because it was it, it, it woke me up. It woke me up and it allowed me to realize that I am human and that just because I clock in and I have a badge, my actions affect real people. 
And that is what we have to do to this system. We have to realize that this system was created by people that did not have our intention, our good intentions at heart. And so we had to come up with a solution. We saw the problem. And so the Responding Power Guide was created for this. Operation Stop CPS was launched and founded for this very reason, because our babies are being kidnapped every day. And until we arm ourselves with the knowledge needed to take this system down before it takes our babies, they will continue to do it because the system is is operating how it is designed to operate. Exactly. Um, And I'm Tafera. Um, So um, I took a different path uh, in working in CPS. So I always worked in human services that included substance abuse, uh, mental health. Um, anything in the realm of uh, human services, Medicaid, food stamps. And so I wanted to do something more hands-on. So that's how um, Child Protective Services became an interest of mine. And so I started working with Child Protective Services. You know, in the beginning, it was just like, yes, I'm here to save all these kids. I'm here to help all these families. And that's what I, that was my drive. And that's what I, you know, went to do. I started, you know, trying to make other decisions when it came to children and trying to make a decision when it came to families and saying, okay, I need to help these families instead of trying to put these families in the system, you know, let, you know, let's try to help them and let them, you know, go about their business because who can parent a child better than the parent? You know, I went to the doctor for a regular checkup. And I was told that I was at stroke level that day. And so I was diagnosed with high blood pressure, anxiety, and major depression. And so I started thinking about stuff like, what's going on? And a part of that was me trying to help families and me taking those emotions with me and being, you know, in a position where I'm like, we are not helping. So I went out on leave. And while we was on leave, um, me and Amanda started just bouncing ideas off of each other. And that's how um, the Responding Power Guide came about. Like people are like, and we launched May the 13th. It was sickening what was happening. And so we wanted parents to know their rights. And so the Responding Power Guide, it's a parent and caretaker guide to um, the child protective system. It's, it's like our flagship, a resource. Um, it's like a playbook to Put it all together because all of this is out there. All of this is is public knowledge. But what happens is you have information over here, you have information over here, and you know it's hard to process all this information and find all this information. So what me and Amanda did was we just compressed all the information, put it in a guide to say here is all the information that you need. And um, it's a step-by-step guide, and it shows how you can unlock your power. The purpose of the guide is to help um, parents and caretakers, like I said, gain knowledge of the child protective system. You know, that, that details how they began, what, you know, what the court system, what, what it was like, like how did we get to this moment in CPS? Um, it helps parents and caretakers gain knowledge of the child abuse laws and the neglect laws, because you have to know that. You have to know what those laws are in order to respond to whatever is being said, right? So you need to arm yourself with that information. 
Um, and we made a emphasis on this. We wanted to note this, that this is not a guide to promote um, or allow parents and caretakers who have engaged in abuse or neglect or the refusal to engage with child protective services. That is not what this guide is about. So in focusing on that, so we just wanted parents and everybody to remember that this guide is just a guide that you must make the best decisions for your family. It's for your family. Um, we're not attorneys and this is not considered legal advice. And the direction that this guide takes you is just based on your ability to be honest. And the main point is if it was not recorded or documented, it did not happen. And that's coming from two social workers who were in the system. Right. Because like what we have to understand and as social workers, you know, I was I was told when I started to see the problems, I was told, well, well, go go to leadership, go get on some committees. Right. And go go talk about what the problem is. And when I went to try to be the solution on the inside, I became even more disgusted at this system because it just showed us that that this is simply people in power who have an idea of what they feel is appropriate and inappropriate for parents to do, they are able to impose that onto society and and call it mandated reporting. Think about the schools, right? You send your child to school to get an education. But in our communities, you send your child to school for an education and they're watched. They're reported. Think of the single mom that has to decide if she's going to go and feed her children by working or come home after school to make sure that there's an adult at the house. It's just her reality. It's what her her and her family have to do. But then you have a neighbor that makes a report and a system that does not understand our families and the lack of resources. Well, they understand it. They just want to ignore it and use it to kidnap our children. And then then you have 1.9 million children who have been victims of unwarranted child protecting service investigations in 2019 alone. And this is just what they tell us. Half of the states don't even report their numbers. Because if you report it, then it will show the truth, which is that this system only serves to over police families of color, families in crisis. So if if we want to fix this system, we first have to have to realize that it is it is serving its intended purpose. This was designed to kidnap our babies and put them in different homes. Because it's set up on bias. It's set up by people that do not understand our culture. That want to suppress our culture. That want to take our babies and show them a new way of life. And we have to set up and say that that's bias, okay? Because we we, we love ourselves and, and we are worthy of parenting our own children. And we have to stop this whole thinking that this system is able to tell us what to do. Because again, most of these decisions are based on bias. When a report is taken, a report is received for abuse and neglect, there is a person that makes the decision if this family is accepted or not into the system. In some in some places, it's supposed to be two people that make that decision. But when you think about short staffed and those types of things, sometimes that doesn't happen. But think of the power that we give to people. Right. So in the um, responding power guide, 
we wanted to empower, like we said, parents and caretakers and arm them with knowledge so that they can feel empowered. Because, you know, like so many we've met, you know, they've been intimidated by the system, you know, and so it's just like, okay, so getting in that realm of understanding, because when they come to your door, or if they even try to call, it's first you understand your rights. You have to understand your rights. That's that's number one. Then you have to understand the federal laws and state laws in, in your state, because the federal laws are one thing, but state laws differ from state to state. And then you respond in power with knowledge because you know, you know, when you're able to say, no, that that's not right. And you counteract what they're saying, then you are responding in power. And that's why in the responding power guide, we actually add it. So there'll be no, like I said, information is here, 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 here. No, we want you to know how does your state define child abuse and neglect? You know, go on on the gateway uh, state statutes and and look up your state. You know, so we didn't we didn't hone in on the state that we work in. It's across the board. That's all you have to do. And once you access your state, you know, you select the topics and you click on the link, and then you you know get your results, and then you arm yourself with that information. You arm yourself so that you know how to respond. In the instance that you have to engage with CPS. Right, because that's where the problem is, right? That's where the problem is right now. People are not engaging with CPS and, and holding firm to their rights. If your child is safe, one, you should never be, you should never speak to CPS, right? And so if you have armed yourself with the law and you have not broken the law, Our advice to you is if you have very good legal representation and resources, contact your attorney and have them not allow CPS to ever see you and your child. If you do not have adequate legal representation, then we we tell you to to use the rules of engagement to, to have a conversation, to stay in control. Because the law does, if a, if a report is received for abuse and neglect, then CPS is going to use that to come to your house. But they don't have to come in. If they receive a report for improper supervision, they do not need to ask you about substance use and and who who the child's father is and and looking in your refrigerator that the law does not give them that right. We have given them that right by not stopping the conversation. So only address allegations. And the only way you can do that is asking them what the allegations are and for them to read them to you. At first contact, CAPTA, which is the federal law, gives us that right. They have to tell you what you have been accused of at first contact. If they don't do that, do not speak to them at all. And that hones in on another thing that is very important. The, the most important takeaway from this is please say less. Just say less because they're not your friend. So say less. And because <laughs> this guy, we wanted everybody to know that we were fired um, from this job. And, you know, there's no animosity or anything like that, no hostile, but this just shows us, and this actually, you know, conveys how powerful this information is. And so we're not safe 
unless we're all safe. It's a not a me problem, you problem. It's a everybody's problem. You know, you see what they did to us in Kentucky, being arrested, you know. So it, it is a powerful system that must be stopped. And that was Tafara Austin and Amanda Wallace of Operation Stop CPS. You are listening to the People's Wall Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today we are discussing the African National Women's Organization's Arrest CPS Conference that was held on October 24, 2021. The Arrest CPS Campaign is organized in defense of African mothers and African families. It is an important pushback against the colonial assault against the African community since the military defeat of the African Revolution of the 1960s. In conclusion of the conference, Yesterday made a call for people to organize arrest CPS working groups. ANWO has arrest CPS outreach kits readily available on their website, anwouhuru.org. ANWO also highlighted their Uhuru Kijiji Child Care Collectives as a community response to child welfare. The Uhuru Kijiji, or Freedom Village, Child Care Collective takes the child care and education of our children out of the hands of the state that colonizes, oppresses, and kills our children and empowers the parents in our community to assume responsibility for the welfare of African children. The Hurukajiji Child Care Collective addresses a basic and fundamental need of specifically, though not exclusively, poor and African working class women who, more often than not, are single mothers with the sole responsibility of caring for their children and for whom the question of securing help with child care is difficult and in most cases non-existent. In addition to providing child care so that African women can be freed up to take care of different needs, the Uhuru Kijiji Child Care Collective seeks to provide education, health care, and cultural enrichment, teaching African children their true culture. The Uhuru Kijiji Child Care Collective allows the entire African community to share in the dignity of knowing that we have resumed the responsibility for the welfare of our own children. To learn more about ANWO and the Arrest CPS campaign, view the entire conference at the African National Women's Organization Facebook page. You have been listening to the People's World Radio Show. Today we discuss the African National Women's Organization's Arrest CPS conference that was held on October 24th, 2021. Our theme song, Colonial Virus, was written and performed by Aliki Ngoma. Thanks to the People's World Radio Show's production, research, and promotions team, including Jaja Robinson, Empress Livewire, and the Hipster Panda. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. This has been the People's World Radio Show. Produced by WVPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WVPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community. And address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. 
Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.